pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Today, on Trinity Sunday, we celebrate the oneness of God. That may seem odd, given the fact that the doctrine of the Trinity affirms three persons in the Godhead. And yet, this doctrine was always concerned with affirming the full divinity of the Son and the Spirit in the context of Israel's distinct belief in one Almighty God. The confession of, of Israel, their, their creed, if you will, the Shema, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now the early Christians, the apostles, were devout Jews. They had no intention of denying the central fact of God's oneness. There's one God. And yet, what were they to do with Jesus, right, who spoke and acted in the way that only God could act? Who said that he and the Father were one? What could they do with their experience of the other helper Jesus spoke of, the Holy Ghost, who likewise did the things that only God could do. These three were distinct persons. The Father was not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. The Holy Ghost is, is not the Son, and neither was He the Father. And yet, all are equally God. There was not, and is not, three Almighties, but one Almighty God. Jesus had spoken of them together in His Great Commission. The New Covenant community were to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were to believe and act in this name. Their whole heart and devotion belonged to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This was the name of the one God. Notice how in our epistle reading from St. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, again, these three are linked together. He speaks of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, by which he means the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the threefold mystery of the one God. 
These three are one. They are one in their very being and identity. They are one name, one God, and yet there is a moral unity as well. Um, they're one in substance, right? But also in purpose and affection, in love. The Father loves the Son, St. John says. At his baptism, the Father declared, This is my Son, the Beloved. Likewise, Jesus said, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And the very love that is shared between the Father and Son, the bond of peace, as St. Paul calls him, the Holy Spirit is himself, his own person, as well as the essence of the love of Father and Son shared with us. The eternal love and unity of the Godhead is more than just a metaphysical statement. It is a model for how we are called to love one another, a reality that we are called to enter into, to be immersed in, to share. When Jesus prayed for us in his great high priestly prayer, he asked that we might be one, just as the Father is in Him, and He is in the Father, so we might be in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was His prayer for us, His church, His people. This is the unity, the bond of peace and love that is intended to exist between the members of the Church of God. We are separate individuals, unique persons, right? But we are one. And unlike the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're not one in substance, uh, but we're called to a union of purpose and affection, of love, like that that is shared between the members, the persons, the Godhead. The unity of the Godhead is one of, of mutual indwelling. There's a sharing. And there is a mingling between the persons without confusion, right? What, what the author Charles Williams calls a, a co-inheritance. This, this sharing, this co-inheritance is meant to exist among us too. What does it mean? Well, it means that no one bears their burden alone. No one suffers 
alone. Your problem is my problem. And my burden is your burden. I can't pretend that the injustice that my brother or sister endures is not my concern. If I turn my back on their pain or close my ears to their cries, then I deny the essential unity that is ours in Jesus Christ. Right now, in the United States of America, our black brothers and sisters are in pain. They're grieving once again. They are crying out for justice and change. They're calling on us, on us white Christians, and right? I'm speaking specifically to those Christians like myself, us white Christians, to acknowledge the inequality that exists between us. Our privilege and our lack. I've been struck on, on, on social media in, in the past several weeks. I've been convicted. By the way, I've seen my black friends and acquaintances, my colleagues, the things that I've heard them say. This is happening again. It happened with Aubrey Murphy. It happened with George Floyd. It's happened too many times for generations. And why does it seem, they say, that we in the African American community have to bear the burden of this ourselves? Why is it always us that has to speak up? My, my black clergy colleague says, what, what, why aren't our white colleagues in the priesthood saying more, doing more? Why does it seem like it's the responsibility of African American Christians to be the ones to call for justice? We are one body, and so their pain should be ours, right? If your foot is in pain, what does that mean? Right? You're one body. If your foot is in pain, what does that mean? That's right. It means that you are in pain. Well, the body of Christ is in pain right now. The body of Christ can't breathe. If we truly belong to this, his body, then we must share in that pain. Their suffocation is our suffocation. It does no good to tune it out because it makes us uncomfortable. Because we are meant to be one. Sadly, as a church, as a nation, as a people, we 
are divided. The unity of love and purpose of affection which we are called to completely eludes us. You live in your world. I live in mine. And too often it seems like we share nothing in common, let alone the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We talk, or we rather shout past one another with no common moral framework. Our interaction becomes increasingly angry, frustrated, and shrill. Brothers and sisters, there are forces that are actively opposed to our unity. They want to see us divided. They want to fan the flames of hostility, stir the pot, embolden the very worst tendencies among us, and provoke destruction and violence. These forces go beyond the president, or the Russians, or the media, or Antifa, or some white supremacist organization. I am speaking about spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm speaking about Satan. The contempt anger and hostility that has overcome and enthralled our nation is nothing short of demonic. It stands in stark contrast to the unity of the Godhead, the beautiful, lovely unity of the blessed and undivided Trinity. We are one in Christ. And the power that would divide us, that would turn us against one another, is this spirit of Antichrist. We must have unity. Agree with one another, our epistle says. Agree with one another. Easier said than done. We must have Unity, we must have peace, and not a false unity or a phony peace that comes with sweeping the inequality uh, or the division and injustice under the rug. But a real unity, a true peace that comes from sharing one another's burdens, feeling one another's pain, and speaking up for one another. Brothers and sisters, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh, boy.